I wonder if there is one single idea that best captures what Christianity is. Could you think of one? I mean, is there one single idea that more than anything else explains the very essence and nature of our Christianity? Now, there's probably a whole lot of contenders for that, but here's one that I would like to suggest should be really high on the list, and that is very simply this. Christianity is about you and I being invited into the most intimate, deep relationship possible with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that relationship, we enjoy everything that comes with that relationship. And we live and move and have our being with Jesus, and like literally everything about life winds up becoming different because Jesus Christ is with us. I think that's a pretty good way to understand Christianity. In fact, we read in the Gospel of John, and, and by the way, uh, I'm going to say a couple things, and we're going to come back to them at the end of the message. But, but in the in Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh, the Logos, uh, the, eternal, the, the eternal second person of the Trinity became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. One translation says, the Word moved into the neighborhood. I love that image of the closeness of God now with us. Then in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is beginning his ministry and he is inviting a core group of people, he winds up doing this. So he, he called to him those he wanted, and they came so that they might be with him. At the very fundamental beginning is Jesus wanted a group of people to spend lots and lots of time with him. But then as we read through all of the Gospels, we see that that's what Jesus did. He just nonstop moved into the life of other people, and he invited them to, to move into his life. Jesus loves to be with people. Then in John 15, verse 15, this is one of my, one of my I have several, but one of my life verses where Jesus says, I no longer just call you servants or disciples. Uh, because a servant doesn't know everything that the master is up to. But I now call you friends, and why do I call you friends? Because I am letting you in on every single thing the Father in heaven is up to through me. And as my friends, I'm going to hold nothing back. And while wh what an image to think that Jesus invites you and I into friendship with himself. And of course, there's that last verse in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is, this is in the context of Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to send you all out in some really challenging circumstances, but have no fear, I am with you always. From beginning to end of the Gospels, it's a story of Jesus with us in deeply relational, intimate, life-changing ways. But I think if we're honest, we will admit that sometimes it seems like maybe something has gone wrong with our Christianity. Things do not seem to be quite the way they should be. And we're not always sure exactly what is wrong and why it is wrong and what we can do to be making things right. I know that was my experience. My experience a couple of decades ago. I realized one day that things were really, really not what they were supposed to be. Actually, it wasn't one day, but it was a dawning awareness over a period of weeks and months. You know, we talk from time to time. I'm going to tell you a couple of things that we talked about often at Living Word. But you know, that wonderful language from the, the great fourth century theologian, Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. That was his own personal experience where he tried literally everything that could be done and nothing gave satisfaction. You know, a couple centuries ago, the philosopher Pascal winds up talking about this God-shaped vacuum that is in the heart. 
And if you remember from last summer when we were talking about Ecclesiastes, there was this, this one verse where there is, there is olam in our hearts. The word olam is like it's eternity and it's immensity. There's something vast inside every one of us. And therefore, until that is filled, life is just one restless and at times futile trying of one thing after the next, after the next, after the next to satisfy that, that vastness that is inside of us. There's a, a well-known author, uh, now, now, now passed away, uh, Julian Barnes, and Julian Barnes was an atheist, but he said something very interesting. I've thought about it many times. He says, I don't believe in God, but I sure do miss him. Boy, isn't that, isn't that intriguing? I don't believe in God, but I sure do miss him. I believed in God, but there came a season in my life where I was missing him. Felt dry and empty, and God was nowhere to be found. Um, and, and, and I didn't know what had happened. I just knew that something had gone wrong, and I was, I was going to try and figure this out. I was like, you know, I had been a Christian at that point for 25 years. I was a pastor for 17 years. I had preached and taught hundreds and hundreds of, of messages, and I was missing Jesus profoundly missing Jesus. And at times even wondering, am I, am I even a Christian? I, I am missing him so much. Uh, by the way, I had, a, I had a master's degree in New Testament studies. I, I knew, the, knew, knew the New Testament from, from beginning to end, inside and out. I had another more advanced master's degree in theology. So it was not an issue that I, I didn't have correct beliefs. I had all the correct beliefs that I needed. And in fact, my life had been devoted to the accumulation of as many correct beliefs about God that I could find. And so there I was with all these years of being a pastor and filling my mind with great, wonderful beliefs. And I'm just like, I'm missing God. It just doesn't seem anywhere in my life. And I was going through, again, some pretty challenging times. That's when I became aware of this, this one quote from, from Dante. He starts out The Inferno, which is book one of, of the Divine Comedy, which is one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. What, what Shakespeare is to the English language, Dante is to the Italian language. It is just magnificent literature at its best. And he begins the very first lines with this, I find myself in the middle of life, astray, lost in a dark woods. There I was at age 43. I was in the middle of life, and I found myself astray, lost in a dark woods, and I had no idea how I got there. How did this ever happen? Now, l later, I, uh, I would discover that the Bible has another word that, that is used, and it's the word wilderness. And I began to see all kinds of people in the Bible are having these wilderness experiences. And I was myself now in a wilderness experience. You know, uh, there's, it's become common these days, you know, people deconstruct their Christianity, you know, their Christianity isn't working for them, and so they sit down and they deconstruct all that's wrong, and, and then they wind up walking away from the faith. Well, what I'd like to say is what I, I really think sometimes is happening, is they're just simply deconstructing their personal flawed experience of the faith, but still they're, they're deconstructing their faith. I was starting to deconstruct things myself, but here's what happened. God turned the tables on me. He took me in the wilderness, and instead of me constructing God, God began to deconstruct Brian rice. A very, very different experience. And when you go in the wilderness, you go in there, you're in crisis, you're lonely, you're hurting, you're confused, you're, and God takes us into these experiences so he can, can meet us at these deepest, deepest places of our need. 
In, uh, in 1973, a guy named J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. Now, you know, years before my crisis, I had devoured that book, and so had thousands and thousands of others. It was a bestseller. Because I, along with everybody else reading it, we wanted to know God. By the end of the book, I knew a lot more about God than I had known before, but I didn't know God anymore. I knew a lot more about him, but I didn't know him anymore. In fact, another author who had the exact same experience, a guy named Tim Stafford, he wrote a book about that very thing. He said, man, thousands of us bought knowing God because we wanted to know God, but at the end, we had a lot more facts, but no more intimacy. And so he wrote a book called Seeking the Face of God. And that's, 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 that's a problem in conservative Christianity. You know, more and more facts, but not necessarily more and more intimacy and encounter. Uh, in, in 1990, another guy, uh, Henry Blackaby, he wrote a book that became very, very famous, was, was studied by thousands of churches, and Henry Blackaby was rooted in the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest de denominations of conservative Christians, and he, he, he lived a group amongst a group of people that they were experts in Bible study. You know, if you want to find somebody who knew their Bible, you went and found the Southern Baptist, and Henry Blackaby wrote a book saying, man, we know the Bible inside and out, but it doesn't seem we know Jesus much at all. We're missing the experience of God. Right there on the cover was a picture of Moses, the one who had this profound experience of God. Man, there's just some stuff that was, that was going on. You know, here's, here's what I actually began to discover th during this time, is that conservative Christianity, of which I am one, that's the tribe in which I live, it's the world in which I live, I, I love it, but but it turns out that we were a lot better at theology than we were at spirituality. And here's what happens when you only have theology without spirituality, eventually your theology becomes dry and even dead orthodoxy. Now, if you only have spirituality with not some robust biblical theology, eventually your spirituality is just gonna become shallow, superficial piety. Well, that's no good either. And when you have theology and spirituality and they are missing this personal encounter with God, all you have left is like anemic, empty religion. Oh man, I get it. Man, deconstruct anemic, empty religion. Deconstruct superficial, shallow spirituality. Deconstruct dry, dead orthodoxy. But none of that is true Christianity. It's beginning to discover those kinds of things. C.S. Lewis, we talk about him often, but he, he, he had an image that was very, very helpful. He said, imagine God is like this gushing, magnificent fountain. Well, he, 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 here's what we wind up doing. We, um, we Christians, professionals, we are really great at describing the fountain. We're, we're water experts. We tell you all kinds of things about the water. We tell you how the fountain was constructed. We describe what water is like. And yet, we never help you get into the water. We don't help you get soaking wet with the water that we're describing. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, he said, God, God is saying to the prophet, come, come all who are thirsty, come and drink. Man, we were just describing water and not helping people drink. I, I was describing water and not helping people drink. Jesus takes that very verse from, 
from Isaiah 55. And at this great festival, he said, listen, anybody who is thirsty, come to me. Come to me and drink. And then as you come to me and drink from me, fountains of water will flow. I mean, that, that's what I was longing for. I was, I was longing to, to be immersed in the water, to be drinking of this beautiful, beautiful one called Jesus. And yet somehow I become satisfied thinking I just have to define what the water is. Here, um, here, here, here's, a, here's a dessert. Look at that thing. There's a layer of chocolate. There's this creamy stuff that's whipped cream and sugar and fat and cholesterol. And, <laughs> and, and then they got some more stuff up here. And there's caramel dripping down over it. Hey, let me describe to you what each layer is like. Uh, but you know what? I know you want more than that. So let me, let me talk to you about recipes. I'd like to explain how the baking process takes place. Now, I, I can tell you exactly whatever layers like. I can tell you all about the recipe. I can tell you all about the baking process. And if that's all you get, you're going to be deeply dissatisfied. Deeply dissatisfied. Why? Because you want to well, do what the psalm says. Taste and see that the dessert is good. But well, actually, just taste and see that God is good. Uh, by the way, there was a little boy that came up here at the eight o'clock service, and he said, "Hey, can I taste that dessert?" <laughs> I said, "No, go tell your dad to buy your own dessert." <laughs> Listen, we we're meant to taste and see these restless hearts. We're meant to taste and see. We're meant to drink, and yet Sunday after Sunday, all across America, we just get lectures on recipes. Oh, but you know what? Let me tell you the Greek word for bake. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, ex, let me explain all the nuances of the Greek word for recipe. I mean, we want more than that. Now, again, the other stuff is needed, but, but that's not, we need more than that. We need to drink. We need to taste. Um, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Eric Little, Chariots of Fire. And I, that movie would undo me every time I watched it. There was one scene in particular that would just wreck me. When, when Eric is, is talking to his sister and he says, you know, God made me to run fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And, and then this scene is just of him running like a wild animal, just free and fierce and enjoying the pleasure of God as he runs. Why did that wreck me? Well, it wrecked me because I didn't experience the pleasure of God. What's in my experience? Now, Eric lived in a tradition that celebrated some of the great confessions and catechisms. And one of those very simply asked this question. So why are you here? What's it all about? What is the chief end? What's your main purpose for being alive? And the answer very simply was this. You are alive. You are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what Eric was experiencing. He was running for the glory of God, not the glory of his own ego. He was, and he was experiencing the pleasure, the joy, just washing over him. It wrecked me because I didn't have that. You know, I, I, I explored these Old Testament texts. Adam and Eve. Do, do you know Adam and Eve were the first atheists? Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? They were the first atheists. Now, they didn't start out that way. 
Uh, now you say, well, how can they be an atheist? Because an atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. They believed in God. Oh, sure they believed in God, absolutely. They just wanted nothing to do with God. Once they had sinned and rebelled and were alienated and apart from God, they wanted nothing to do, so they ran, they hid. See, that's what an atheist is. We, 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 we kind of downgrade that word, but, well, an atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. No, that means the devils believe in God, but they're atheists. You ever meet a devil? You're talking to an atheist. Adam and Eve became the first atheists. Not, not that they didn't believe in God, but they were apart from God. They were missing God. They no longer had relationship with God. You know, you come to Exodus chapter 3, and I've read, I've read the story of Moses over and over. The, you know, that, that, that picture that was on the front of the book, book uh, Experiencing God. So in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, Moses is having the longest conversation yet in the Bible, and still is one of the longest conversations, where God is just downloading into Moses' awareness things that nobody else knew about God. I mean, it, it is this long, extended conversation. There's this burning bush. It is a supernatural thing. There's, there's something very powerful going on. And by the time God is done telling Moses all of these brand new ideas and invitations, Moses basically is going to be another atheist. Says, God sounds nice, but I don't want anything to do with you. That's what an atheist says. I don't want anything to do with you. I mean, he couldn't not believe. I mean, he obviously had to believe. He just didn't, didn't want to be in relationship. That's chapter 3. And then you come to chapter 33, which is only a couple of months later. And one of the most amazing transformations ever recorded in the Bible has now taken place. Because Moses, who in chapter 3 wanted nothing to do with God, now in chapter 33 cannot imagine a day without God. In fact, it's one of the most beautiful prayers. Moses is praying, God, I, I want to learn more about your ways, but God, even, even greater than that, I want your presence. God, I know that we, I, we're at, this, we're at this like turning point. There's something really significant, and we know there's change that lies ahead. And God, listen, if you don't go before us, if your presence does not go with us, God, I'm just not going to take another step from here. It is just simply not worth going any place where you're not. And so Moses just... God, give us your presence. Nothing else matters. And he actually finishes up the prayer by getting really audacious. How much presence does Moses want? Does he want a little? Does he want a medium amount? Does he want it intermittently? No. He wants the full presence of God. And we know that because he says, God, show me your glory. God, I want every iota of you. And God, of course, says to Moses, man, you, you can't see my face. Right, not now. God knows there's something coming down the road, but Moses, right now, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't endure that much presence. So it would just be too much for you. I mean, those, those kinds of passages just stirred and stirred and stirred. There's a, there's a guy named Parker Palmer, and he wrote a, he wrote a, little, a little essay about Christian leaders. He exposed us. He said, let me tell you the little dirty secret about too many Christian leaders. They are functional atheists. He's not talking about belief. He's talking about experience of being with Jesus. Oh, man, we can talk a good God game. We can talk a good God game better than most people. But, you know, if you pull away the curtain and you look what's behind the curtain, you realize that there's a lot of posing going on amongst Christian leaders. Man, we can talk a good game. Man, we can do a lot of stuff. 
but inside we're just hurting and aching and lonely. And by the way, when I was going through my own desert you know, reclamation process and I began to have the privilege to speak to Christian leader groups at all kinds of places, I found that I was not the only one. In fact, it seemed to be almost a universal experience among Christian leaders. We were all just so profoundly missing God. Back to, um, back to the Old Testament. There, there's a couple of psalms that grabbed hold of my heart. Here, here's one of them. Can we put this first one up? Uh, psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for, for God, the living God. I, I would read that, and, and, and I had to stop there. I had to interact with it. I said, God, I, I think I'm thirsty. I think. Uh, I'm not always sure what I'm thirsty for, but here's where I got to. Say, God, I would like to become thirsty for you. God, would you work and make me thirsty for you? That was, that was like the best I could pray for a while. God, I would like to become thirsty for you. Now, in reality, I didn't know I was dying of thirst for God, but, but I had to say, God, I, I would like to become thirsty. And, and, and this next one was very, very powerful for me. Um, the next psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. By the way, there's a couple of verses around that that are just as striking. But, but God, who do I have in heaven but you? And earth doesn't have anything that I desire. And I, I remember this one time, I was like, God, God said, really, Brian? Really? And it turned out that started a whole searching soul time where I, I found out, oh, my word. I desired all kinds of things on earth. In fact, I desired so many things, I, I think they had all sort of overwhelmed any kind of desire for God. I mean, I desired success, I desired status, I desired respect, I desired people to like me, I desired accomplishments, I just desired all kinds of things. And so here's part of the crisis, when none of those things were materializing, and they were not, that's when I started to feel so empty, because they were the things to fill my life, and they weren't happening. And it was a fact that those false gods, idols, pursuits were unable to satisfy and they weren't there. That's why I was, I was beginning, God, I, I don't know if I've desired you for a long time. <clears throat> here's, here's, here's what I had to start praying. God, I, I would like to desire you. That was one of the most oddest prayers I ever prayed. God, I would just, I, hear it, I would like to desire you. Would you help me desire you? And he did. And slowly desire grew. And I mean, again, those kinds of passages, they're over and over throughout the scripture. I, I learned how to, to not just read and study them and tell you ingredients, but I learned how to, to use those as like stepping stones to move into this conversation, discernment, meditation, contemplating, uh, listening, uh, connecting with God. All right, now back to Jesus. Again, remember, we started with Jesus, the Alpha. We're going to finish with Jesus, the Omega. And everything in between is Jesus. But sometimes we just have to work a little bit to, to, to get there. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel was now here walking on planet Earth, moving into our neighborhoods. He was inviting in Mark chapter 3 those he wanted, come and be with me, come and hang out, come and spend time. We're going to rub shoulders together. We're going to do life together. We're going to have conversation after conversation. Let's be together. And for three years, Jesus was together with those folks in a special way, but he was together with just about everybody that he ever met. 
And then when he was risen from the dead and he was getting ready to ascend back into heaven, he said, listen, I know I'm going to be gone, but I'm not really gone. Now I'm now going to be able to be with you in a way that is you just never imagined. I mean, right now here, I'm with you group and I'm not over there, but right now, but once I'm ascended, I'm going to be with all of you wherever you are, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how risky it gets, I am right there with you in all of life. Now that's, that's Christianity. That's living word. That's the heart and soul. That's the drumbeat. That's the core. That's the essence. You know, something I had discovered um, during that time when I was driest and most missing God, there was only one time in the week when I really did connect with God, even a little. And you know what that time was? It was in worship. At my driest and emptiest, the times when I still connected with God was worship on a Sunday morning. There's just something about the experience of worship. No matter how far I felt, that God was just breaking through and grabbing hold of me. Now, I also slowly began to learn to do what is called practicing his presence. And that was a little book, became a bestseller. It's been a classic of Christian spirituality for a couple hundred years. It was not written by a theologian. It was not written by an apostle. It wasn't written by a pastor. It wasn't written by a teacher. It was written by a dishwasher, a humble dishwasher, who on his own discovered how to practice the presence of God while he washed dishes in a monastery. And as he did that simple act of service, he learned how to experience the presence of Jesus with him. And then every now and then he would write a little letter, a little note, he'd give it to a friend. And eventually those little letters and notes were collected into a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. I slowly learned how to do that. I slowly began to pay attention to the things that were going on and instead of just looking at the things going on, I started to say, so God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Why are you doing those things? What are you inviting me into? That's what Pastor Aaron talked about last week with the work of God, that surprising, delightful work of God. And, and as I'm having these experiences, and I'm now slowing down, so I'm not just rushing through them, but I'm, I'm sitting and reflecting, and I began to say, so Jesus, what do you want to say to me? And surprise of surprises, I began to hear from Jesus. At first slowly, but then more and more, and then regularly, and it wasn't just about me. I started having appointments and meetings, and every time I, I, I'm participating, but I'm also saying, so Jesus, what are you doing right here, right now, in this conversation, in this person's life, in this meeting, in this event? And I slowly began to practice his presence over and over, and I stopped feeling like so much of a poser. But here's the best thing of all. Can we put up this image of John chapter 15, verse 15? I began to know this Jesus. Well, I, by the way, I learned a lot more facts about him, but more than that, I began to know him. Now look at that face. Remember Moses saying, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, oh, you can't see my face and live. When Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh, they saw the face of Jesus. 
What do you see on that face? You see somebody who wants to beat you up? You see somebody who just wants to smack you over the head for the dumb things you did this past week? What do you see in that face? I believe you see love and mercy and tenderness and joy. Just look at that face for a moment. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see somebody who's saying, just come and drink? Just drink of my love. If you need some forgiveness, come and drink of forgiveness. Are you in a hard time right now? Come and taste of the strength that you can have in me. Discouraged? And just come and taste of hope. But here's above all what I want you to taste. That Jesus wants to be your friend. Let's really meet with our friend Jesus as we move in to worship.